Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Horse Live for March 2015. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of TheHorse.com. Tonight's topic is what you need to know about equine navicular syndrome, and it's brought to you tonight by our sponsor, SIVA. Navicular, it's a word that strikes fear in the heart of any owner or trainer with a lame horse. I know because I have a navicular horse myself. Uh, You love your horse, you ride, you train, you enjoy him, and then one day when he seems to be going better than he's ever gone before, he takes a bad step and goes lame on one or both front feet. Um, At least that was my personal experience with navicular. When I was a kid, the navicular diagnosis meant the end of a career for most horses. But today, we understand navicular syndrome more than we used to and the related structures of the navicular bone in the foot and the leg. Um, To help demystify this syndrome, I'm joined tonight by Dr. John Piggott of Wisconsin Equine Clinic and Hospital and Dr. Kyle Creech, who's a technical veterinarian with SIVA. Uh, Welcome, doctors. Good evening. Thank you. So, we're going to start with you, Dr. Piggott. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience working with and managing horses with navicular syndrome? Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I, I see kind of a, a wide population of horses here at uh, Wisconsin Equine. You know, it's a, it's a fairly varied practice, a wide variety of, of sport horses, uh, your average average uh, uh, pleasure horse, um, uh, et cetera. And, and and certainly, you know, we see a, a ton of navicular problems in these horses and, and are faced in a, on a daily basis. Uh, some of the, you know, we'll get into some of the different treatment modalities and some of the things we look for as we're trying to identify risk factors, et cetera, with some of these horses. Uh, but certainly we'll get into also uh, different things we pick up on imaging modalities, et cetera, and different clues we can give the horse owner uh, to try and hopefully prevent and, and look for early signs of this condition. Okay. And Dr. Creech, can you tell us a little bit about your experience helping horses with navicular syndrome? Sure. Um, a little bit about my experience and my past. Um, I was in private practice in rural Missouri, so more, my uh, practice experience is more related to a general practice, um, just seeing a lot of the everyday horses, trail horses, those kind of things, just uh, like I said, the kind of the, the rural backyard practice. And then I made the move into industry, which um, has given me even more experience into the equine realm, uh, being a member of the SIVA animal health team of the equine division, which um, launching new products into uh, the industry that are going to help provide solutions to horses, especially with um, these types of, you know, debilitating issues such as navicular. So. Okay. And, For our audience who's listening live, the doctors are going to be answering your questions as they come in. We have questions that were sent in before we uh, got started, and that's what we're going to start off with. Um, But if you're listening live, you can send questions in on your browser console. You can just type them in, send them in, and we will be taking those as we go along during the next hour. Uh, Since we only have an hour to talk about this disease, and it's a big one, let's go ahead and get started. And I actually want to talk... Let's start with you, Dr. Piggott. I kind of describe my experience with navicular where my horse was going great and then he broke and then he broke my heart. <laughs> so is that a common experience for horse owners with navicular? Does it come on suddenly like that? Or do we sometimes have some signs that, that the horse is having trouble before we start seeing lameness? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, it comes in a couple different flavors. You know, one is the... Um, sometimes younger horse that we think is is perfect that we might be trying to sell and then we take pre-purchase x-rays and then lo and behold we see some drastic changes on the on the films that may or may not be associated with early signs of soreness uh in the front feet so certainly that's that's one of the earlier clue-ins that that we may have a problem going on in the future but oftentimes uh, it, it's something where, you know, a horse may be, may be going great for a while. They may be competing or they just may be uh, leisurely hacking or, or just watching the horse out in the field. And then all of a sudden there might be a, a, a sudden onset of, of uh, some degree of soreness in the front feet. But absolutely, I mean, it, it can be relatively sudden in onset, not like an abscess would where all of a sudden one day the horse is um, – virtually non-weight-bearing, but, but absolutely comes in varying degrees of severity, uh, with some of them being, being moderate towards severe, for sure, in an acute form. Dr. Creech, we have a question from Rebecca in Nebraska, and Rebecca 
would like you to to better explain what equine navicular syndrome is and what are some of the common clinical signs of the disease. Sure. Well, kind of as you mentioned in your opening, is you know back back in the day when you heard the word navicular or navicular disease, it was truly kind of a uh, a shot to the heart of okay, what's going to happen now to my horse? And you know the confusion of you know what does navicular disease, navicular syndrome, caudal heel pain, you know what does it exactly mean, and and how what is the definition of it? And you know technically it's just describing the palmar heel pain and the pathology of the actual navicular apparatus at the at the base of the foot. Um, you know, it's amazing that it takes up or it makes up about a third of the chronic forelimb lamenesses that we see. And so it's definitely something that has been, you know, looked at a lot um, and trying to identify exactly how do we diagnose this and exactly what's all is going on. And, you know, it is a chronic incurable, incurable condition. So, you know, it's something that we're not necessarily going to be able to cure, but we can definitely slow down the progression of it. And, you know, we don't actually fully understand, you know, what uh, the actual cause is, um, but there's things that can happen to the navicular bone, whether it be just from mechanical stress or uh, blood supply issues and things like that that can lead to excessive bone remodeling of the navicular bone itself. Um, you know, the, the difficult part of it, too, is, you know, trying to diagnose it as navicular disease is, you know, the soft tissue structures that surround the area. Um, we're not just dealing with the navicular bone itself. You know, we have, you know, the different collateral sesamoid ligament and um, the lower, you know, impar ligaments and then navicular bursa itself. And so there's a lot of things that go on, um, you know, to actually, you know, try to figure out and identify exactly where the insult's coming from and what the issue actually is. You know, when we think of, you know, common, you know, clinical signs or you know, symptoms that we see of these horses coming in, kind of like Dr. Pickett just talked about is, you know, typically it can be, you know, a, a, a chronic thing that comes on over time. It can be unilateral or bilateral in the front limbs, typically. Um, they're going to kind of show more of a lameness when they're circling, and a lot of these horses are going to start pointing more. Instead of landing heel first, they're going to start wanting to land more on the toe to take the pressure off of those heels. So it's, um, it's definitely something that has uh, caused a lot of issues in the horses that we work with. And, you know, depending on what we're asking our horses to do is going to kind of relate to, you know, how that treatment is going to uh, progress and how aggressive we're going to be with that. Okay. Our next question is for Dr. Piggott, and it's from Serena in Nevada. And Serena wants to know if navicular is passed down through genetics. For example, can a mare give navicular to her foal, and how long would it take for a navicular mare's foal to develop navicular itself? Um, do we have a percentage of that shows a genetic correlation? Uh, yeah, sure, Serena. So, the, so I guess there's a couple of ways to think about that. You know, one is 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 the long, the short answer rather is is that we're not quite there yet as far as the genetics are concerned. You know, there's been a lot of good work uh, getting done in the in Europe, particularly in Germany, and the group looking at uh, the Hanoverian Society um, trying to trace some of the navicular changes and how it passes down as far as penetrance in genes into the offspring. So. Yes, absolutely. You know, what's been shown so far and kind of where they're at with a lot of that work is, is they're in the early phase of identifying genes um, of interest and then their location as far as where they are in the different chromosomes, et cetera. Um, you know, the, what it seems like is, gonna, is, is shaping up, at least, is that navicular bone shape and some of the size and variety of the vascular channels uh, seems very much to be linked to genetics. Um, where you'll get tremendous var uh, variability in the shape of navicular bone in youngsters uh, that can vary a little bit as they age, as well as in those kind of vascular channels that we see on x-rays that you guys may see also if your vet's ever taking films. So uh, short answer is, is yes, likely there is going to be a genetic component to it. No, we do not have it uh, completely sorted out yet. Um, but, you know, you'll be always shocked about some of the young horses that you'll take films on and see horrendous changes on the x-rays. And then we'll talk a little bit later, you know, about uh, how that can and cannot correlate to actual clinical lameness. But I don't, I don't have an exact percentage as far as 
time or a percentage of horses that develop lameness, you know, based on the genetics, or a time that, uh, you know, your horse would become lame uh, based from a genetic standpoint. Do we have an average age that that we have an onset of navicular disease? Yeah, you know, and most horses, you know, as far as the clinical lameness associated with it, you know, most people think somewhere around 7 to 14, 7 to 15 years of age, somewhere in that kind of middle-aged uh, age bracket. Okay. And then you mentioned the Hanoverians, and that's what my horse is a Hanoverian who has navicular issues. Um, but we also hear this associated with quarter horses a lot. Is there a relationship between breed and navicular syndrome? Yeah, for sure. So there's, you know, at least three general categories of breeds that we talk about that of horses that are, um, whether or not you want to call them predisposed, or at least we see a higher incidence of navicular um, changes in, in uh, lameness associated with navicular in these horses. So, you know, thoroughbreds are one uh, that we see a decent amount in, warm bloods, and then the quarter horses uh, and other stock type horses for sure. So those three breeds are, are the ones that we usually think of as, as seeing an increased incidence of uh, navicular-type lamenesses. Okay. So, Dr. Creech, we have a couple questions about hoof care and management of navicular through uh, corrective shoeing. Our first question that I have for you is from Ross in, in Indiana. And Ross wants to know what kind of shoeing is recommended for a navicular horse. He says that he's heard that wedge shoes are the best, or but he wants to know if it depends on the horse. Uh, Lynn is in Virginia, and she says, how much corrective trimming and shoeing do you have to do with navicular syndrome? Uh, she says the horses that she's been involved with have had underrun heels, long toes, and that's my personal experience. That's what I dealt with with my navicular horse. Um, she says this didn't change while under veterinary and farrier partnership care. Uh, in her research, it appears that a four-point trim might be helpful. Uh, do you have some thoughts, Dr. Creech? And then, Dr. Pickett, you're welcome to jump into and talk a little bit about shoeing these horses. Sure. I mean, and these are both excellent questions and, and very big points when you're talking about navicular syndrome and how how we handle it and how we're going to be incorporating you know, the corrective shoeing into our treatment protocol. And, you know, first and foremost, I want to say that I am not a farrier, and that is um, a job that, um, in my years, the advancement um, in the farriers and what they can do is, is truly amazing. Um, I recently attended the uh, American Farriers Association meeting, and what that group of individuals does is, is, is truly an awesome thing and how important it is for the veterinarian and the farrier to work hand in hand to have a good treatment goal and where they want to go uh, so they can have that same idea on, on how to get to, you know, the where we want the horse to be able to perform at. And, you know, Ross brings up a good, you know, good point about the wedges and things like that. And, you know, un unfortunately, we don't have a cut and dry um, you know, paint by numbers treatment for navicular and, and the specific type of shoeing that we're going to do for every horse. So it will depend on the horse, but typically what you're going to do, and depending on how painful the horse is and things like that, um, you're going to, you know, if you have those long toes and those underrun heels like that, you definitely want to have a balance to the, to the hoof and get that foot nice and balanced. Typically you're going to, you know, take the toe down. Um, that way you're going to, you know, decrease that breakover. Um, that way you're not going to put as much stress on those flexor tendons that are coming down and riding onto the backside of the navicular bone itself. And so, you know, the different kinds of shoes that are out there, whether it be the egg bars and uh, the, the rocker shoes and things like that, there's so many different opinions out there. And that's kind of where it comes into the relationship between the veterinarian and the farrier on what's going to work best for, you know, that particular horse and what degree of of lameness we have and when, where we're going to go with a horse, whether it's just going to be, you know, like I say, a trail horse or actually into competitive uh, athleticism again. And Dr. Pickett, did you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely echo what Dr. Creech uh, just said about, about one, having a, a, a good relationship between veterinarian and farrier, and most importantly, having two people on your team from an owner perspective that, that both have an open mind I and mean, we all have our opinions and, you know, based on what's worked in the past, different experiences, et cetera. But 
but you know, there's a lot of new treatments out there. Some that may be some that work and some that may not, but at least having a team together that's uh, willing and, and able to explore new treatment options to try and find what's best for the horse is really the most important. But, you know, absolutely. There's, there's, um, a lot of different, uh, you know, every horse is different, and, and we look at the horse's foot um, most importantly, you know, combined with the farrier, and say, okay, you know, what's the, combined with radiograph, the clinical picture, et cetera, and, and MRI if we have it, and say, what's the best way to approach this, to approach getting this horse more comfortable? Um, you know, there's so many different components in navicular syndrome, which you'll hear from s- several different people, that can vary from, you know, pain coming from just the bone. There could be a soft tissue component. A lot of these horses could have uh, scar tissue in this navicular bursa that we were talking about. There could be a tear in the deep flexor tendon uh, deep inside the hoof capsule. So, you know, for example, those horses that have more of a soft tissue injury in the deep flexor tendon, I like, to, I like those horses in bar shoes because I don't like them sinking very deep in their heel and softer footing. Um, you know, there's, you'll hear about wedges and, and there's definitely folks out there that are pro wedge and there's folks that are anti wedge. And, you know, the folks that are pro wedge usually do it when horses have a, a negative palmar angle, meaning that the heel of the coffin bone is lower than the toe of the coffin bone. So they use that wedge as a mechanism to try and reestablish the normal uh, biomechanics as far as weight loading from the horse's pastern into its hoof and to the ground. Um, the people who are against wedges are, you know, fear that you'll crush the digital cushion, that soft, spongy substance in the back of their, uh, deep to their heel, uh, which, yeah, which absolutely can happen. But, you know, these are just examples of, of, um, a few different things that, that every horse is different. You know, some respond to some, some respond to others. And, and, you know, and there's, yes, you know, people will talk about barefoot too. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more with some later questions, but, you know, barefoot is definitely uh, an option for some horses moving forward. So, Dr. Pickett, we have a follow-up question from our live audience. Uh, Carol is in Pennsylvania, and Carol says that her navicular, her horse that's diagnosed with navicular syndrome is currently wearing bar shoes, which you just mentioned, Dr. Pickett. Um, she says that her farrier is encouraging her to get him out of those bar shoes and into a standard shoe. She says she feels like those shoes are working, uh, and there's no reason to change. What's your opinion about using a bar shoe and maybe changing the shoe? on a navicular horse yeah so um well i guess there's two ways to look at that you know the you know if you have something that's working uh that, that in your foot in your horse's foot is maintaining its health then then you know why why change something if it's you know if it's not broken um you know bar shoes uh if applied incorrectly can absolutely cause contraction in the heel um they limit to some degree uh, the normal hoof expansion um, they are a pain in the butt from an owner standpoint because horses start chucking shoes come the springtime in the mud um, or any time of the year if they just catch it right with a, with a hind foot. Um, so th- there's a, a lot of, um, I guess, uh, irritable things about bar shoes that, that people would want to get them out of. But, you know, if you finally found something for your horse that they're comfortable in and they're maintaining hoof health, um, as far you know, and your your farrier is happy with that, then then yeah, I'm with you that you may not want to change it, but um, you can always go back to you know doing a cycle or two in uh, a normal shoe that has the breakover pulled back and a little bit of a rockered toe. Um, you know, is, is could be a good experiment, and you can always go back to the bar shoe if it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Pickett, my personal experience is that we started with um, with doing wedges and bar shoes and we did equipack and we had all these different kinds of shoes and then over the last two years we've transitioned from those wedges and the equipack and the bar shoes to a shoe with a little bit with the breakover pulled back to finally my horse is in uh, more of a standard shoe it's still a natural balance it still has um the the breakover points a little farther back than a traditional sure. steel shoe, um, but he was in an aluminum shoe that was like that for a while, and then into this. Do you find that how we need to shoe these horses can change, or that their hoof health can improve? I'm going to knock on wood because my horse is still sound, but um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course. And I mean, I, you know, I again, depending on the pathology that's involved with your specific horse's condition you know, will dictate, you know, to some degree, at least the type of shoeing that, that may or may not help. So, you know, the, 
you know, if I like to keep a horse in, in a bit more of a bar shoe, if they have a deep flexor tear, uh, going down through their back of their hoof capsule, then yeah, you know, for example, once that deep flexor tear is healed, then absolutely, you know, maybe we could get them out of that and then put them in a shoe like you were talking about that still encourages, uh, ease of breakover, um, through keeping the toe short and, and through the natural motion of the, of the shoe. So absolutely, the shoeing can change in these horses. You know, there's no one shoe that is, that you can pick and you're good for life. Uh, if you, if you get that lucky, then, then congrats to you. Um, but, but most oftentimes, no different than you or I, uh, you know, we are, our foot conformation changes and the health of our feet changes. And, um, there's, you know, we're sometimes more comfortable in different types of shoes than others. So, so yes, I mean, it's a long answer of saying that absolutely, you know, the, the types of shoeing will change over time. Uh, and that's why you have to listen to your horse and not get stuck in one way of treating these things. Dr. Creech, we have a question from Glenn in the West Indies. And Glenn wants to know what you should do if your vet doesn't have the necessary equipment to x-ray or do a nerve block of the hoof to confirm a navicular syndrome diagnosis. Outside of the horse being off, what can can uh, owner and their vet look for to see if this is what's going on with their horse? Right. That's, uh, that's definitely a challenging situation. I mean, just because, you know, through our previous conversations, you know, there's a lot of different structures going on in that foot. And so, you know, the ability to actually localize exactly where or what is going on in the foot can be a challenge without having those diagnostic uh, capabilities. But, you know, just the beginning of a just a general good lameness exam um, that's going to help, you know, isolate possibly where, you know, where we're noticing something that's off, you know, doing uh, the trotting in straight line and in circles can help, you know, again, look at which, which hoof it is in, which, which front leg, back leg, or, you know, exactly what's going on. Obviously, you know, with the vicar, we're going to most likely be hammering in on, on the forelimb. Um, you know, there's other things we can possibly do with different types of flexion tests. Um, there's the, the wedge test where you're placing a, uh, like a piece of wood or something underneath where it hyperextends uh, the front of the hoof that puts pressure on the back and then trot off in a straight line, and it should, um, with, you know, having caudal heel pain, it's going to put pressure on that and kind of show a, uh, a more significant lameness. Or you can also do kind of a a pressure test where you're going to a frog pressure test where you put, uh, you know, a block of wood or something on the caudal aspect of the hoof, um, raise the opposite limb, it puts pressure on that area of the hoof, and then, again, trot off in a straight line. And, you know, again, these aren't 100% diagnostic, but it can help kind of isolate exactly where it's at. So, you know, ideally, you know, having x-rays and being able to do those types of nerve blocks are going to be what we need to do in order to diagnose exactly what's going on um, for the most part or, you know, get us to, you know, narrow it down exactly, you know, kind of the location of it. But, you know, this is a very, this is a very challenging situation without having those diagnostics, but, you know, you, you can at least, you know, isolate down into where it is or, you know, down in the hoof area, hopefully. Our next question is from our live audience and Dr. Piggott, I'll give this one to you. It's from Jean in Missouri and she wants to know if it would be beneficial to increase the circulation in her horse's hoof to slow the navicular bones genera- uh, degeneration and she said, if so, uh, how can she do that? Yeah, so, so that question uh, you know, brings up um, uh, basically the whole idea of treating with isosoprine, you know, the drug that uh, is used somewhat as a, as a vasodilator in the horse's foot uh, to try and increase blood flow and circulation, et cetera. So, um, you know, the, some of the different aspects of navicular, you know, look at, you know, is there any kind of compromised circulation or circulation impairment, meaning blood flow, uh, to that aspect of the foot, uh, whether it's secondary to abnormal uh, concussive forces that's affecting the blood flow, et cetera. Um, so, yes, you know, there, isosprin is probably the most common one that, that people have used or, you know, have heard of using. Um, it's a drug that's given orally, usually twice daily, uh, several pills usually. Um, and, you know, I guess my experience with it is, is, has been fairly mixed. You know, I, I think that 
I've been underwhelmed more often than uh, super excited about my results for that treatment. You know, you're almost always doing that in conjunction with at least some kind of um, hoof care, whether it be trimming or shoeing or something to try and, and, and alleviate some of that discomfort in the heel. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, you know, from a... My general opinion about it is, you know, I don't think I saw Oxprint does a ton. Have I used it before, and will I likely continue to use it in some horses where I've, you know, I need to try and pull out all the stops? Yeah, I, I probably would, um, but I've just I've been underwhelmed with uh, some of the results with it. But that's probably the most common drug uh, out there that you'll hear as far as increasing blood flow. Pentoxyphylline is another one that you may hear of as far as, again, trying to increase the ability of red blood cells to, to get through the circulatory system. Um, but again, you know, that one's uh, along similar lines. Are there any uh, simple ways that a horse owner can help improve circulation, like through exercise of the horse or concussion? Um, is that enough to create circulation in the hoof to, to help with navicular? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, the we're going to sound like a broken record in the standpoint of of uh, making sure that, you know, you have a, a horse that has a, an adequately balanced foot because once you start to get imbalances, whether it's from the inside to the outside part of the foot or the front to the back part of the foot, you know, that affects how the normal um, hoof expands and contracts, and that indirectly has an effect on the, the way um, blood flows through the foot. So, you know, start with having a nice balanced foot, move from there into saying, okay, you know, some exercise absolutely is, is a good thing as far as circulation versus a horse that uh, is locked up in its stall, for example, if it has a severe injury or something or something like that. So, um, yes, controlled exercise uh, uh, in some kind of a um, uh, pattern, at least going through the week, is, is an excellent thing as far as uh, trying to increase blood flow is, and combined with having a trimmed foot. Our next question is for you, Dr. Piggin, and it's from Judy in San Diego, California. She has a seven-year-old thoroughbred that had an x-ray done on her left front foot. Um, the vet said that she had the beginning of bone degeneration for navicular. He gave her a shot that was newly approved here in the U.S. and suggested putting the horse in bar shoes, but because of the sand, she keeps throwing the shoes. She said that she's read that some people suggest the horse going barefoot. What are your thoughts on barefoot? But I want to back up in her question and talk about this shot that her horse was given. Uh, what are some of these new uh, new drugs that are available for horses in the U.S. for navicular? Yeah, so the, you know, it, when you talk about a shot that's given specifically to counteract bone degeneration, uh, I assume she's talking about one of the bisphosphonate drugs. Uh, so the two drugs that are available in the United States, one is Tildren, uh, Children's been along, uh, around here for a, a long time. It's been well studied. Uh, there's a newer one that just came on the market uh, last fall uh, called Osphos. Um, that's uh, uh, brand new to the market. Um, in the similar, uh, same class of drug as, as Children, it's another bisphosphonate, um, but not nearly as well studied. Um, and uh, results uh, remain to be seen as far as uh, efficacy for that drug. Um, but you know, those are the two main drugs that people usually when they say specifically drugs that will counteract bone degeneration. Uh, they're usually talking about the bisphosphonate drugs. Um, you know, other drugs that we use uh, to try and are more focused on counteracting inflammation. So corticosteroids, whether we inject them into the coffin joint or directly into the navicular bursa, which lies between the navicular bone and the deep flexor tendon. Um, those are the two areas where typically we'll inject corticosteroids. Um, and then systemically, you know, sometimes we'll put your horse on, on an anti-inflammatory like bute, banamine, or Prevacox. Um, and, you know, there's also a slew of, of natural-type uh, drugs out there, more supplement um, nutraceuticals that are, are proposed to have some kind of anti-inflammatory effect as well. So... Um, Hopefully that answers at least the first part of the question. The second part of the question is, you know, what are our what are our thoughts on uh, keeping horses barefoot uh, for treat, or at least as a partial treatment for navicular? You know, and it, it's a it's a really it's a, it's an interesting thought for sure. And there's you know there's for sure horses out there that have had shoes on that had their shoes pulled that have had navicular that that have been helped by pulling their shoes. Now, I stand more along the lines of. You know, anyone who's out there that says that 
every horse that has navicular must be treated by X or Y or whatever it may be, whether that's a shoeing technique, whether that's a drug. I'm, I'm always cautious myself because that to me is completely unrealistic. You know, every horse is different. Every foot is different. You have to investigate and look really closely into, into every aspect of that clinical condition and what's causing the pain. Where's the pain coming from? So as far as barefoot's concerned, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a number of horses that, you know, you may be able to uh, either they already are barefoot or you may be able to uh, pull the shoes. But, you know, basically what barefoot does is you're trying to, you know, gradually load that frog so you're stimulating the foot and the entire time you're still rolling the toes you're still trying to bring break over backwards as you would and that's going to be a common theme when we certainly anytime we talk about uh trimming these horses is trying to move that break over backwards so that we're uh facilitating uh the way that they rock over on their foot decreasing some of the strain on that deep flexor tendon in the back of the heel um but most importantly you know the the main goal is to try and you know, counteract that toe first landing and try and get them to land more on their heel. So whether you do that through a barefoot, um, um, a barefoot trim, you know, where you're trying to improve the health of that heel and uh, through gradually loading of the frog, yeah, I think it's, it's a reasonable thing to try for some horses, uh, but it won't work for them all. Our next question is for Dr. Creech. Uh, Denise is in Kentucky, and she said that her horse was diagnosed with navicular and then a year later tore his deep digital flexor tendon. Do you find that these two injuries are related? First, that's a, a, sad to hear that that happened. But, you know, as navicular syndrome uh, progresses, you know, we can see, you know, some fibrillation of the deep digital flexor tendon, you know, on the flexor surface, um, you know, and then, Sometimes this can lead to adhesions and things like that, but, you know, directly related to having navicular, which is going to lead up to, you know, beat digital flexure tearing, I have not heard of that, and I don't see that necessarily being a result of that, you know, now, however, you know, depending on, you know, what exactly your horse is doing, if it's a competitive jumper and, you know, we have a history of possible adhesions or things like that, that can possibly lead up to or cause a tear because of previous things, um, you know, that may be a possibility, but the direct correlation between, you know, having navicular syndrome, which is going to eventually lead to a tearing of the deep digital flexor tendon, um, I, I do not believe that that's a direct correlation. Our next question is from Grace in Florida. She's in our live audience. And Dr. Pickett, I'm going to send this one over to you. She says that her horse has been diagnosed with caudal heel pain and degeneration of the navicular bone via radiographs. She would like to know your opinion of cold laser therapy and vibration plate therapy to stimulate circulation and diminish pain. She said that corrective shoeing has helped her horse. What What are your thoughts on the cold laser and the vibration plate therapy that we're seeing? Great. That's a great question. I'll, I'll come to that one in a second. I also want to just uh, touch up on Dr. Creech's last question, too. The, the only thing I thought of with that, Kyle, is that, you know, there's, you know, you think about this kind of repetitive concussive forces that happen in some of these chronic toe-first landings and, and repetitive increase in strain from that uh, heel region from the deep flexor tendon. So, you know, what, again, depending on the conformation of the horse's foot, you know, especially some of these horses that have a negative palmar angle or, or who are more upright in their pastern, you know, some of those horses can absolutely maybe start with having some uh, navicular bone changes by themselves just from having some um, increased concussive force in that area. And then if it doesn't go corrected over time, you know, potentially just by having that repetitive increased strain on that deep flexor, you know, potentially it'll get to the point of failure where at least you'll get a partial tear uh, in that deep flexor. That was just something I was, I was just thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the 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 cold uh, yeah. So the cold laser and the and the theraplate. Um, you know, those are. We have a theraplate here. We we use it uh, a fair amount. We do not have a laser, but I've worked with a lot of vets and I've had some personal experience with the laser. Um, so you know, basically the laser is its main goal is to try and uh, increase blood flow uh, by activating those cells around the area and. You know, I, I think the laser is a really uh, fantastic tool, especially, you know, we're a little bit limited from an external treatment standpoint to get inside the hoof and the, and the heel region, but the laser is a nice thing to do, uh, particularly from a soft tissue standpoint, to try and loosen up some of those tissues and increase range of motion uh, down there in the heel region and uh, promote uh, 
a healthier type tissue. So, yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of laser. I think it's I think it's great. Um, you know, there's uh, I use it for a lot of different conditions through other vets, um, and I and I've and I've been quite happy with the results, and I followed a decent number of those horses up. You know, as far as the uh, you know the vibrating plate they're talking about so theraplate is is one that's that most people probably heard of where it's basically a high frequency vibrating plate that your horse stands on it's a little bit noisy but um ultimately again main goal is trying to increase circulation in your horse's body um it also will loosen up their musculature you know when they walk off of the plate they they'll just seem very loose um and and you know your horse will either really enjoy it or they'll be uh if they're the spooky type maybe they won't enjoy it so much <laughs> but uh for the i'd say for the most part uh horses typically really enjoy it it does increase circulation it will help increase bone density um and i have not particularly you know followed a lot of navicular type horses up on that but that would be a very uh good option to at least try and a lot of barns uh, some of the bigger barns actually have those kind of installed in their grooming stalls so their horses will stand on them as they're getting tacked up um, our next question is from our live audience, and Dr. Creech, it's for you. It's from Penny in Canada, and she wants to know how common it is to see horses with navicular in syndrome in just one front foot. Do we see it just in one, or do we usually see it in both? Um, you know, I think you know we can see it in both, obviously, but I think most times we're going to see one foot um, that is going to be more painful than the other. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily... You know, diminish the fact that there are, you know, navicular changes that are occurring and, you know, that we definitely need to follow up with some type of a treatment plan, you know, to make sure that we are balancing that foot and make sure we're, you know, getting the horse to be as, as pain-free as possible so we can counterbalance, you know, the issues that are going on within the, the, the foot itself and the changes that we're starting to see because, you know, the earlier we start, you know, to make these changes, the better it's going to be because, you know, there isn't a complete treatment for this. And it's something that we need to, you know, start early, you know, so we can try to put a stop to it. Um, you know, the changes that we're seeing before it progresses to where it, you know, gets so bad that there's not a lot we can do for it. So, um, yes, we can see it in, in, in a single foot, but we can see it in both feet as well. Uh, our next question is for Dr. Piggott, and it's from Bonnie in San Diego. And Bonnie has an eight-year-old mare who had a neurectomy on, in 2014. She said since the surgery, she has started pointing her right front um, and is sensitive above the heel and below the knee when grooming, etc. And the back one-third of the hoof is numb as expected. Would this be the symptom of a neuroma? Yeah, sure. And I, you know, I didn't even say that in the beginning. You know, I, I'm a surgeon here at Wisconsin Equine. I do a fair amount of sports medicine with that. But the, so absolutely the, you know, neuroma is something that we always have to be concerned about. Basically, neuroma is just kind of a disorganized mass of, of nerve endings that form at that top transection site of the nerve. So, um, what you're describing uh, does not sound like a neuroma to me. You know, it's very common for these horses to kind of point their foot a little bit after surgery. Uh, you know, whether or not that's um, related to uh, some kind of a weird feeling down the foot or, or whatever it may be, it, it's, you know, it's, it's usually not pain. Uh, neuroma is when you, when you just feel over the old surgery site after the incision is healed, you know, they'll be focally painful usually uh, as you press over that uh, nerve stump. Uh, and still be quite reactive, and, and you may see a recurrence of lameness also. So those are two things to look for, palpation, uh, as far as, uh, and then also recurrence of lameness uh, as far as neuroma formation. But, yeah, just uh, pointing the foot is, is, is typically not just a sign of neuroma. Uh, you mentioned you're a surgeon. Can you tell us a little bit about the surgeries that are available for navicular and when those are, are called for? Yeah, you know, we, we don't have we don't have any kind of a, a fantastic surgery that goes out there and, and fixes navicular problems. You know, the the ones that we go in there from a diagnostic and treatment standpoint, uh, you know, arthroscopic surgery or bursoscopic surgery of the navicular bursa. You know, sometimes we can go in there in the right horses and explore that area. Sometimes if there's a focal adhesion, we can try and break that down. If there's a, a tear in the deep flexor tendon in the region of the navicular bursa, uh, sometimes we can help to debride some of those loose fibers, which will help in healing. 
Um, but, you know, a lot of those horses that have a lot of scar tissue in that bursa or other chronic changes, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to do a lot from a surgery standpoint for them. So, you know, in those horses, we end up really as, as norectomy, digital norectomy is our, um, you know, it's been around forever and it's, and it's, it's, still a, a viable kind of last chance salvage surgery that, that will help to alleviate pain in the back of the foot. Um, these horses will be comfortable. They will not be comfortable forever. Uh, you will get sprouting of those nerve endings and eventual reconnection uh, that can cause lameness again. So that, you know, that everyone asks, well, when's that going to happen? So, I mean, I, I hope to get three to four years out of it or longer. Uh, sometimes if you're unlucky, it might happen faster than that. But that's always something to be aware of is that if you do get a norectomy done, it's not a permanent fix usually. Um, but norectomy is, is what I use as a kind of a last-ditch effort if all else has failed and, I'm, and, I, and I need to try and get this horse some comfort. Um, but I also, you know, I, I don't use it as something as, okay, we're going to do a norectomy and then, and then go have this horse jump Grand Prix. You know, I, I try and use it as, okay, we're going to, we're doing this for the horse because we're trying to get them some more comfort so they don't have to live in pain all the time. And then let's really kind of modify what we're athletic expectation is for them. You know, other things you may hear about it is actually transecting the collateral sesamoidian ligaments, um, which is a, it's been done. It's been done in Europe to a fair amount. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with it myself. It's another surgery that's out there when there's predominantly a, a soft tissue uh, strain in that ligament, uh, where they kind of alter the biomechanics by cutting that ligament. But uh, neurectomy is by far the most common as far as the last t- uh, chance effort. Our next question is for Dr. Creech, and it's from Karen in California. And Karen said that her horse was in uh, clinical trials for children uh, and was sound for about two years after after that uh, until about two months ago. She said she'd like to know when children will be available and if it's been approved by the FDA. Can you tell us, Dr. Creech, a little bit about that children trial that a lot of us heard a lot about several years ago and then also uh, the results of that? Sure, definitely. And, you know, uh, children, as Dr. Piggott mentioned earlier, children's been a, a drug that's been um, around in the European countries for, you know, a little over 10 years. And there's a lot of experience with the product, you know, overseas. And, you know, over the last five to seven years, uh, veterinarians here in the U.S. have been able to import the product through a uh, special importation um procedure so they could get the product here. Now, you know, the unfortunate thing is the product they were importing uh, was a European product. And so, you know, the good thing now is that Tildren is available and it is FDA approved here in the United States. And, you know, what Tildren is, is it's it's in the bisphosphonate class of drugs. And some listeners may be familiar with the bisphosphonates because uh, the bisphosphonate class of drugs are used in human medicine for osteoporosis and other bone um, degenerating um, diseases that are out there. And so the the trials and the uses for children evolve around bone. And what children is doing, it is actually slowing down the cell within the bone um, that is causing the removal of the bone. When you talk about bone, there's constant remodeling of our bones and of the whole, of the bones of the horse. And so you have bone that's being taken away, and you have bone that's being laid down. And that that is a balance between the formation of bone and the removal of bone. But we know where there's high areas of bone remodeling going on, such as navicular disease, that the bone is being removed quicker than it can be formed and laid down by the osteoblast, okay? So the goal of children is to slow down or eliminate the opportunity for the osteoclast to take away that bone or that bone lysis that's occurring. And so children is a IV injection, and it's infused over 90 minutes. And what it does, it's going to collect and go to the areas of the highest bone turnover where, you know, if, if, if people have seen like a bone scan, they know where there's areas of high bone turnover. That's very similar to the way children is working. It's going to go to those areas of high bone turnover. And that's the goal is to slow down that bone lysis and that bone turnover that's occurring in the navicular bone. 
Um, our next question is from our live audience, and Dr. Pickett, it's for you. Bob is in California, and he has a horse that was dis- diagnosed with navicular about a year ago. He said the horse has natural balance shoes on and gets injections in his front feet every six months. He also is on firococcib as an oral medication. Bob says he's not at his ran- ranch every day, more like just four days per week. Is there a problem with his horse only getting the firococcib on the days that he is ridden. Yeah, you know, this is, this kind of opens up a couple of different questions. You know, that you know, furacoxib uh, is is a is a fine drug uh, as far as giving them some mild pain relief uh, as an anti-inflammatory. Um, you know, it's it's my preference with them that. I usually try and keep them on, uh, you know, if they're going to stay on, uh, then I keep them on the course. Um, but if you're going to, you know, if you can only make it out there four days a week, then, yeah, you know, it's probably fine. That first day that you get it and that you ride may not feel as good as that third day, for example, after you've had two days to kind of get levels back up to where they need to be after your horse had three days off at the end of the week or, or however your schedule works out. So, um, you know, Trying to keep them on as even a keel as possible is, is, is ideal, but, you know, if that doesn't work out for your schedule, then, yeah, you, you do the best you can, and you give them to it four days a week and just realize that that first day that you ride, you might have to take it slightly easier uh, because that, that anti-inflammatory still needs to kind of get back up into, into higher levels. We have a question from our live audience. Debbie in California wants to know if IRAP could help a horse with navicular. Uh, Dr. Pickett, can you address what IRAP is and, and whether or not it might help horses with navicular? Yeah, sure. So IRAP is it stands for interleukin-1 receptor antagonist protein. And, and basically, you think of IRAP is, is a, you draw the horse, a sample of the horse's blood, you incubate it for 24 hours, and it concentrates all of these good natural anti-inflammatory proteins in the horse's blood that then you go ahead and, and process and inject back into the usually joint or, or bursa or, or whatever you're treating, but usually a, a synovial structure. So, yeah, you know, IRAP is something that, you know, I think of more often for osteoarthritis or, you know, any kind of arthritis in joints. I haven't used it a lot in bursas um, myself, but uh, that doesn't mean that you can't. Uh, but I've been, you know, where I've used more IRAP is, is predominantly in uh, joints with arthritis, uh, and I've been happy with that. But, you know, IRAP works based on anywhere that has an increased production of the messenger interleukin-1, which is just something that gets produced with typically an arthritis or anywhere there's a decent amount of inflammation. So it's possible, but uh, either, you know, steroid is going to be your cheapest yet most potent anti-inflammatory. Uh, platelet-rich plasma is another one that we'll use down in that area, and stem cells are also an anti-inflammatory uh, to some degree that also help with the soft tissues. Okay. Well, Dr. Piggott, you got to the, the PRP there at the end, but I have a question from Susan in New York who's asking specifically about PRP, but she also wanted to know if shockwave therapy could help horses with navicular. Do you have any experience using shockwave uh, with these horses? Yeah, shock. You know, shockwave is it's it's a really nice adjunct to to use in combination with shoeing, other treatments, etc. You know, my experience with shockwave is it's a heck of an analgesic, meaning that it'll make your horse it'll take away some of that pain in the region that you're shocking. And and you know, people usually look at the horse's hoof and say, okay, can you adequately treat that area with shockwave? And you you absolutely can. I mean, you can shock them down through their heel, kind of angled down. You can even shock them up through the frog region uh, and treat them effectively that way. Uh, the horses that I've treated with shockwave, they're usually, in the ones that I've done that as either the sole treatment or with minimal other treatments, usually are improved for two to three weeks, and then I see a slow uh, or gradual return of lameness after that has been my experience with it. Okay. Our next question is for Dr. Creech. Uh, Karen is in Oregon, and she wants to know if there are any supplements that might help horses. She's with navicular, she said there's many supplements that are claiming to either help or slow the progression of navicular disease. Um, we also had a question from Lori in Connecticut who also wants to know if calcium supplements would be a benefit to horse with navicular. Do you have any experience or thoughts on using supplements or nutraceuticals for horses with this syndrome? 
Right. You know, there's, you bring a, it's a very interesting question about, you know, the different supplements that are out there and, you know, the claims that are made by a lot of the products that are available on the market. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is that the supplements aren't as regulated as the pharmaceutical products. And so, you know, there's things that we need to be aware of out there with some of the claims that are, you know, definitely being made from some of the supplements. But, you know, there are definitely products out there that, you know, that are, good for horses and that we, you know, that should be recommended from a supplement standpoint. And, um, you know, those types of products that will directly affect, you know, the navicular bone itself and trying to necessarily prevent navicular syndrome or navicular disease, um, you know, whether it be by adding calcium or other supplements. Um, to my knowledge, there's nothing that's going to directly prevent or, you know, prohibit it from occurring. And so, you know, adding calcium to the diet from an oral standpoint um, the body is producing that naturally, and, and the likelihood of doing that causing any beneficial effect to the navicular bone is, is slim to none, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, and Dr. Cre- or Dr. Uh, Pickett, did you have anything to add on, on the nutraceutical side? Yeah, you know, I, my feeling with nutraceuticals is, is they're... They may or may not help your horse. They will hurt your pocketbook. Um, so it, it's something that... Uh, you know, for a lot of them, I think it's I think it's fine to try. And you know, there's like like Dr. Creed said, there's no direct evidence that, especially with calcium supplementation, you're going to decrease bone degeneration in the navicular bone. But um, you know, I you know I, I have a lot of my competition horses on you know a joint supplement and stuff like that because you know, like I said, I think you try and provide them with as many of the building blocks as possible. But I don't think you should look at it as this will fix my horse or this will prevent this from happening altogether. So we have a question from our live audience. Uh, Jean is in Missouri, and she has a 15-year-old mare that's been responding well to an egg bar shoe and then also receiving a supplementation of MSM. She wants to know if her horse is doing well, if she should seek any treatment beyond the shoeing and the MSM. So, Dr. Pickett, can you talk to us a little bit about MSM and why it might help, and then also whether or not she should be doing anything else if her horse isn't showing any any clinical signs of navicular currently? Yeah, sure. So, you know, MSM is just kind of a powdered form of, of the byproduct of DMSO, so it's basically a, an anti-inflammatory to some degree. Um, and, and, yeah, you know, MSM is one of those things that, that you know, I have some people that swear by it, and I have other people that think it's it does nothing. So, it, you know, I, I do think it's very much horse specific in in how they respond to it. Um, you know, again, if if your horse is doing well uh, with an egg bar and and on some MSM, then then you know, don't just drop everything at once and pull the shoes and drop the MSM. If you want to try and you know do anything, I would probably say, okay, maybe try stopping the MSM for a little bit. Does that make a change in your horse? And if so, then put them back on it. Um, if you want to try and try a trial uh, from a a from a cost standpoint, and b you know, does my horse really need this? Um, because I think there's a lot of things we put our horses on that they may or may not necessarily need. But you can always try it and, and then switch back if need be. Dr. Creech, we have a question from Tiffany in Missouri, and Tiffany has uh, a horse, um, a gelding who has been diagnosed with caudal heel pain, and the horse, um, she said that she's read a lot about when to rest the horse and when exercise helps and when the horse shouldn't be exercised. What are some guidelines for owners with a navicular horse as to the kind of exercise the horse should be getting and, and if they're sore with or without that exercise? Right. You know, and I, I think Dr. Piggott kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, and, and some of it's going to be left up to the individual horse itself. And you know, this can definitely be a challenging situation for horse owners because, you know, there's a lot of therapies that are going into play. And like, like Tiffany mentioned, you know, some work and then when do I stop them and when do I start something different and, and how do we go from there? And, you know, in other questions we've had, it said, should I change, you know, where I'm at right now? My horse seems to be doing fine. You know, so kind of going and simplifying it is, you know, if kind of leaving up to the horse of what the horse can do, you know, if, if for painful, then definitely want to rest with controlled exercise. Um, but I think having that controlled exercise is, is important because you don't want them to go out, um, you know, like a, a shot out of a cannon and, and do something that's even more significant or more severe. And so, you know, the guidelines I would say are, you know, stall rest when they're, you know, extremely painful and, 
and uh, not wanting to do much and then controlled exercise from there and see if you can gradually increase, you know, as the horse continues to do better. And I just, you know, I just have something to add, Dr. Creech, too. It's, you know, the, you know, there's a lot of times we find ourselves kind of going around the horn here with these horses as far as, as, you know, we may get them a bit better, they may get lame again, and we're trying to figure out, you know, to do the best thing by the horse. But to do that, and you, gotta, you have to know what you're dealing with. And ultimately, you know, a lot of the time here we'll say, okay, you know, we may have some mild to moderate radiographic changes, which, you know, based on previous uh, research uh, may or may not correlate to actual clinical lameness. So, you know, it oftentimes the degree of pathology that's happening in there, particularly in the soft tissue, is far, far beyond our wildest expectation. And that's where MRI comes in. I'm a huge proponent of MRI, uh, A, if it's financially uh, reasonable for the owner, but, but, you know, you have to think of it a couple ways. One is, you know, you, you can go around the horn, uh, you know, trying several different treatments, a bunch of different uh, techniques, rest, your time, et cetera, and versus the cost of an MRI, which is more upfront, but in the long run, you'll probably end up saving money. So that's just a proponent for saying, yes, let's figure out exactly what we have going on so, A, we can better treat the horses and rest them if needed for an appropriate amount of time or, or keep working them. So how important... How, yeah, how important is footing, riding, arena footing, or where you're riding out on the trails, uh, how important is footing on our horses with navicular? Um, Dr. Pickett, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So the uh, footing, so again, most of these horses are more sore on firm footing or hard ground. So, you know, the reason for that is, again, they, they get sore through their heel region. Uh, when they're on hard ground, their toe, there's no give in, in cement or something like that. So all the strain gets transferred directly to the heel region as they move. When they go on softer footing, now there's different degrees of softer footing, but mild soft, you know, we say, okay, yes, the hoof can rotate generally uh, as they're walking or trotting. It takes some of the strain off the deep flexor. But then there's the other extreme of that where deep sand or something like that can make it worse. It actually increases strain from their heel sinking in. So, you know, slightly softer footing that gives them the ability to grip on their toe and push off is a good thing. Um, you know, I, I don't think very deep sand is, is beneficial to a lot of those soft tissues, but uh, a lot of those horses prefer softer footing. Dr. Creech, we have a question from Kim in Florida, and she wants to know if there's any correlation between Cushing's and navicular disease. Have you seen any, any research that has correlated those two conditions? I have not seen anything. I don't know if Dr. Piggott has come across anything, but I have not seen anything that is, you know, directly related between those two different uh, diseases and issues. Okay. And Dr. Piggott, our next question is from Tina in Gresham, Oregon, and she wants to know, firococcib or bute, which is better for pain management for a horse with an avicular? Yeah, there's there's no question about it that bute is a better painkiller. There's no question about it, especially horses that have true musculoskeletal pain. Uh, Butte is a better painkiller, and that's and that's true. The there's no question that you know there's Butte is is a little harder on their system, and and some horses will you know look at a gram of Butte and then colic for a week, and then you know there are horses out there that have been on a gram of Butte twice a day for the last five years and will never look back. So every horse has different sensitivities to that. You know I have a lot of horses out there on furacoxid. Uh, that I think is a mild anti-inflammatory. I think it works really well. Um, Butte is a better painkiller, but it's a little harder on their system. Okay. So we are just about out of time for tonight, um, but I want to go ahead and ask each of you for your closing thoughts, and we'll start with you, Dr. Creech. What would you like the audience to take away from our conversation tonight about navicular and managing their horses with navicular syndrome? Well, I think from our conversation this evening, I mean, everyone can tell that navicular is a very complex and complicated uh, syndrome, you know, that can affect several different structures in the lower foot. And, you know, there is no simple treatment plan for each horse. Um, each horse is very individualized, and that relationship between the veterinarian and the fair have got to be there um, in order to get a, a strong game plan of where we want the horse to go. Um, but also, you know, there are 
you know, products out there that can definitely help these horses, you know, with the corrective shoeing, with the biomechanics, but also with, you know, the products like children that can actually help, you know, with the bone uh, remodeling component to uh, the syndrome as well. And so um, I guess that's kind of the takeaway for me is there are multiple things that we can do, um, but we definitely need to identify and isolate and get a definitive diagnosis of exactly what's going on. And Dr. Piggott, what are your final thoughts for tonight on our discussion? Yeah, you know, there have been great questions for sure. And, I, you know, I think that, you know, in navicular cases from a, from a veterinarian owner and farrier standpoint, they can be extremely frustrating, you know, especially when it comes on in a, in a relatively young horse and, uh, you know, high stress levels for everyone to try and get them as comfortable as possible uh, as soon as possible. But, you know, I, again, I, I'm a huge proponent for let's, you know, figure out, you know, make the necessary changes we can in the short term. If we find ourselves spinning our wheels at all, you know, let's find out what we have. If it's financially available, get an MRI done. See if there's a soft tissue component that we can better figure out what's going on here so we can can better treat the syndrome. you know, and, and just keep an open mind, you know, pay attention to the research. There's a lot of products that come out that, you know, sometimes make crazy claims, but, you know, there's products out there that are very well studied and there's other products that are not as well studied. And, uh, you know, as a horse owner, you, sh- you can pay attention to that stuff and say, you know, this is, this is what's available out there. This is, it's a lot of it's available online. Um, if your vet's not familiar with it, you know, feel free to ask us. And if we don't know what it is, we'll ask someone else. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we are all current on the information so that we can provide you with the best uh, and most current uh, opportunities to get your horse uh, better in the, in the short term. Okay. Well, I want to thank uh, both of our experts, Dr. Creech and Dr. Piggott, for joining us tonight um, for this great conversation. I also want to thank everyone who sent in questions uh, ahead of time and also during our live event and everyone who joined us live to listen in. I also want to thank our sponsor, Siva, for bringing this event to everyone for free tonight. I hope you can join us next month for Ask the Horse Live. And until then, we're wishing you a good night and good riding.